Welcome to the Breslanta Report. My name is Sean Breslin. I am the host of this podcast. This is episode number 59. It is Monday, December the 10th, and I want to first apologize for the awful, awful audio quality of my last podcast. I didn't even realize it until I published it that it was something went wrong with the microphone and you basically just got my computer audio. What a mess. I don't claim to be an audio expert. I do claim to be an Atlanta sports fan. And what a weekend it has been. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this is your first time listening to the Breslant Report, welcome. I am the founder of Breslanta.com. I host this podcast weekly to talk Atlanta sports, and this might be my favorite of the 59 podcasts I've done so far. It has been a wonderful weekend for Atlanta sports fans. Atlanta United has raised a trophy, has ended a 23-year drought of major pro sports championships in the city of Atlanta, and I am just now warming up from the parade that happened on Monday morning and afternoon. What a great time it was. I hope you had a chance to to go down there. If you have kids, I hope you had a chance to take your kids down there. Who knows how long it's going to be until we get to see another one. I'm 31 years old, so hopefully it will happen between, before I'm 54 years old because on the current pace, I will be 54 before the next Atlanta Sports Championship. So hopefully that won't happen, uh, but it has been 23 years, so... I enjoyed that quite a bit, and I will tell you a little bit more about my lineage and why this was such a special celebration for myself in just a few minutes. But if you haven't listened to the Breslanta Report before and you're listening to this on iTunes or SoundCloud, please subscribe right now. Please leave me a five-star rating. I would really appreciate that. Anything less, I would not appreciate. So five stars or bust. Uh, leave me a review when you're done with the podcast as well. Let me know what you think. But uh, if you have any thoughts or comments for the show, Today, uh, we're just pretty much going to talk about emotional matters and you know we're not going to dive into numbers too deeply or, or, or break down games or statistics. Uh, we're just going to talk about what this particular weekend means for the city. Uh, but if you have anything you'd like to add to the show, uh, either in this episode or the next or in the future, uh, my email address is breslanta at gmail.com. You can send me your thoughts, uh, comments for the show, and I definitely will get back to you. I will definitely address them on the next episode. So thank you so much again for listening. We're not even going to talk about the Falcons today because like I said, this is going to be a happy podcast. And by the way, did you see Arthur Blank in the press box on Sunday in Green Bay? Oh my God. If you didn't have a chance to see it, it was brutal. Uh, He needed, I think he needed sunglasses to be honest with you. And not because it was sunny, because you know that feeling when you just want to die after a long night of partying. That's what Arthur looked like. And now it's hard to tell if it was because his team was getting waxed on the field and he was sitting in Green Bay where it was like 22 degrees and having to sit through that while the rest of the city celebrated in Atlanta because his other team just won a championship. So maybe it was just the fact that he was being forced to go watch that nonsense in person when he would have much rather been continuing the party in Atlanta. But Uncle Arthur looked like he had a long night before that game, and and totally understandable if he did. Not saying he was hungover, not saying he was drinking at all. I have no idea what he was doing as part of the celebration. Uh, He might have partaken in a couple of cold ones. I don't know. But either way, he looked like he was really feeling it, and he wasn't the only one. I pretty much, you know, I was told myself it was going to be productive Sunday. It wasn't. I just laid on the couch and and just tried to recover. Uh, I couldn't go to sleep the night before. I stayed up till 1am just, just thinking about what that game meant for the city and what it meant for you know all the sports fans of Atlanta. So 
I woke up with a headache. I I drank pretty much the entire day on Saturday and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't wasted, but I was I was enjoying myself. It was a celebratory atmosphere and it was just a it was a fun day. And we did tailgates. We had a few beers during the game and I needed something other than beer on Sunday. Let's just say that. But you know, it was a really fun day. It was it was incredible. So we're not going to talk about the Falcons. We're just not going to. It was the same nonsense that we've seen the last four or so weeks before that. Uh, They went up there and got waxed. They don't look good on the road. There's a lot of things that scare me about this team, even going into next year when hopefully they'll be healthy and possibly a little bit stronger through the draft because they're going to be drafting high, guys. But I just don't feel like getting into it again. Maybe we'll address it again next weekend, but we'll we'll see. I I just don't feel like it's it's necessary today. But we will talk about, after we talk about Atlanta United, we'll talk just briefly about Georgia Tech's new head football coach, Jeff Collins. Uh, wait till you hear what he had to say about the Yellow Jackets rivals, and I'm going to read you a quote when we get to that. So we'll break that down just a little bit at the end of the podcast. So if that's what you're listening for, just hop ahead to like the last three minutes of the podcast. But I have a feeling that you want to hear about Atlanta United if you're listening to the podcast right now, because that is the big story of the city this week. And as you know, Atlanta United are MLS Cup champions. Remember that 4-0 loss to Houston at the start of the season? Doesn't that seem like it was about 12 years ago? Yeah, they uh, they really turned it around. Let's just say that. And we we had our uh, we had our doubts on the podcast during that, you know, that first match of the season and we were breaking that down uh, right after it happened. Uh, they got destroyed to start the season. And I think if I recall, I, I and I don't, but I if I if I could think back to what I probably would have said after that match, I probably said Eh, it's one match, shake it off. Hopefully that won't happen again. And it didn't. That team has been incredible for most of the summer and the fall and obviously into the playoffs. How effortless did this side make the playoffs look? Especially after choking away the supporters' shield on the final day of the season. Who could have seen that kind of a playoff run where they didn't even look like they were being tested by anybody? They took down NYCFC in Yankee Stadium where... Nobody's done that this year. They went on to take down the Red Bulls, who in terms of points earned in a, across the course of a season, greatest MLS side in history, took them down just as, as easily as you possibly could have. And then you get Portland, a team that is so hot coming to that match that has won match after match on the road, has proven themselves throughout the Western playoffs as a five seed. And you're sitting there saying, well, this should be a match where Atlanta should be heavily favored. And they were. But you just don't know what you're going to get with Portland. And I think they were a little bit sloppy. I think Portland's supporters would say that that wasn't their best match. Uh, they they had a lot a lot of passes go awry. They had they had a lot of balls get intercepted. Uh, they had a couple of passes that just didn't make any sense at all over the course of the match. And that's going to happen because it's ninety minutes of soccer. But it just didn't feel like Portland was as crisp as they could have been, especially considering it was a championship match when you knew you were playing one of the best sides in MLS history. You knew you were going to have to bring it. And maybe Portland's just as a five seed, they just weren't good enough to handle that kind of an atmosphere. I don't know. Maybe they were just hot. And sometimes you'd rather be hot than good in the playoffs. But Atlanta United rose up and took care of business. And there was there were some points in the match, especially after about the first 35 minutes of the match, where they kept trying to break through. And you're like, man, if this goes much longer, Portland's going to start getting confident. And things could go south in a hurry. So they finally score uh, toward the end of the first half. 
They have a huge block on what could have been a, a an equalizer goal that would have been massive for Portland. It would have instilled a lot of confidence on that side. So a big stop there. They score again. Escobar gets the goal in the second half, and from there the party's on. And you know you go up two nil early in the second half, and you got to start doing the math. You're going, all right. Well, if we get to 60 minutes and they haven't scored yet, that's good. But if we get to 75, then we're in really good shape because they'd have to score two goals in 15 minutes. What are the odds of that? So you start doing math in your head, especially when you're an Atlanta sports fan. You got to figure out at what point, you know, because, you know, 28 to three a couple years ago, you're doing the math late in the third quarter going, all right, they got to score four times in 18 minutes. Is this possible? Can we stop them? Can we just start taking knees now? Would it be okay? Would that, would that run the clock out enough to where they wouldn't be able to score that much? So you're doing that as a fan at Mercedes-Benz on Saturday night. And finally the clock runs out. Uh, things just, everything just went Atlanta's way in this postseason. And everything about Saturday night was just special. You know, it was the first time that Atlanta had hosted a major pro sports championship game or series since 1999 when they were totally boat raced by the Yankees in the World Series. So it had been a while. It hadn't happened in this century that I know of. I, I tried to rack my brain and think of times that it could have happened. But, uh, you know, you got Georgia playing for the championship last year in football. Okay. You got Georgia Tech playing for a championship in basketball. Okay. But you look at major pro sports. Uh, the Braves haven't been back since 99. The Falcons obviously have not played a, a Super Bowl at home. Uh, the Hawks have not even made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, so that's not a thing. And then the Thrashers never won a playoff game. So as far as I know, that was the first time since 99 that a championship game or series came to the city of Atlanta, and they did not squander it. Now, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not afraid to admit it that I got a little bit emotional over the weekend. Um, I wasn't. At no point did I full out cry, but I did get teary eyed several times over the weekend, and I think that's okay. It started on Saturday morning. I'm watching the Army Navy game, and they show the they show the uh, you know the four or five minute uh, preview or whatever whatever the special is they run right before the game, like the uh, the big promo for the game, and then they go right into the game. Well, they show this four or five minute promo, and I I watched it on CBS Sports Network um, a couple hours before the game because they showed it as they were showing the march ons, which is a big thing in Army Navy, and if, if you haven't seen, I mean, first of all, if you haven't seen an Army-Navy game, you should watch an Army-Navy game. But if you've never seen the the intro to the Army-Navy game, they, they produce it. It's a production every year. It's a four or five minute production. And they talk about, you know, just how special it is to be one of those kids that decides that you're going to go to Army or Navy for your college education. And you're going to, you're going to enroll and you're going to enlist and you're going to do all these things. So it's very emotional. So I'm starting to get teary-eyed. I'm on the couch. And it just felt like a different type of day, you know? I didn't wake up with, like, the premonition that, oh, yeah, we're definitely winning the MLS Cup today. But it felt different. And it it felt different from the game when the Falcons played the Packers in the NFC Championship a couple years ago. I was scared the whole day, especially when I went downtown and saw there were thousands of Packers fans everywhere. I'm like, we're not winning this game. Aaron Rodgers is going to show up and he's going to kick the crap out of us like he did back in 2010 or whatever year that was that we were the one seed. And we're going to go home sad and that's going to be that. So at no point in, in that day did I start to feel good about myself until the beginning of the second half when they scored again, like right out of the gate, huge long touchdown pass to Julio Jones. That's when I started feeling good about myself. But I digress. I wasn't feeling 
any sort of way, but I did have this, it just felt like an, a more emotional day. You know, I had people coming. I had a, I had a friend coming into town from Portland to watch with us. Um, I was going to see some people I hadn't seen in a while. You know, there were, it was just, it just felt like a good day. You know, I had a good group with me. We were tailgating. We were all going to the game together and it just felt different, you know? And so I didn't like, I didn't full out cry. Yeah. I got a little bit teary eyed when I was watching the, the celebrations on the field and the songs were blaring at MBS and everybody was doing their cheers and you just saw what it meant to the city because you don't get this feeling often. The NFC championship was a great experience, but I think the last time this city reacted to a, a pro sports event, the way that they did on Saturday night was game six of the 95 world series. And I bet people will tell you that's probably the loudest that any sporting event has been in the history of Atlanta since the 95 world series, if not ever, because I think that those two games are in a conversation by themselves. And I don't know if the 95 world series was louder. It's hard to say, you know, you had another 20,000 people in MBS. So that right, right away would give them the advantage. It was loud and it was incredible. But like I said, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have tears running down my face in the stadium and I, none of that stuff. But I rewatched the match on Sunday night because it was on FS1. And there were these moments after both goals where they immediately cut to a camera they had put up on the stand right in front of the supporters section where, you know, the leaders stand and lead the cheers and they've got a drummer up there and just uh, lots of megaphones. And that's how they communicate with the supporters. Here's what we're going to do next. Well, every time that Atlanta scored a goal on Saturday night, the TV broadcast immediately cuts to that camera and you see the people standing on that supporter stand. Uh, these are the people that have put in more than anybody else. They are the ones that are chosen to lead the supporters section. So these people have been making TIFOs, dreaming up cheers, uh, putting in so many man hours and woman hours to, to making this supporters section the best in MLS. These are the people that care more about Atlanta United than anybody else. And you see their reactions. And if you haven't had a chance to watch it, I highly recommend if, if they show a replay, if you can watch it on the internet, go find it because you can see it in their eyes. You know, there's the hand over the mouth. You can see the tears starting to form up. It's, it's just that realization that, Oh my God, we're about to do this. And it's from the people who care the most. And it, that's when I almost lost it watching that because you know, you get to know these people. Uh, I obviously from afar. I'm not in the supporters section, but you get to know these people from afar because they do interviews. They're responsible for a lot of the things that make Atlanta United what it is. And you just feel the passion, and you see it in their eyes. And that moment where they're all just embracing, and they realize that they're about to be the supporters section that's going to get to raise this cup. That's cool. And so that was. That was the one time I almost lost it. And of course, watching it on TV, they had to throw up the weird stats on the screen. As soon as Atlanta takes a 2-0 lead, oh, blah, blah, blah. Atlanta United has never blown a 2-0 lead in franchise history. And it's like, why do you even have to do that? Because you know what everybody's thinking at that point. Here comes 28-3. Thank goodness that didn't happen again. It would have been tough if they had blown that 2-0 lead. It really would have been. But it was a, it was a fun experience. It was a it was an electric atmosphere, maybe the best in Atlanta sports history. The parade was awesome. I would say probably about a hundred thousand people made it out on Saturday morning, or Monday morning, I should say, which is great because had they turned it around and done it on Sunday, like Sunday afternoon, about one o'clock, I think it would have been twice that many people because I think that the fact that people had to go to work um, 
that really took away from the crowd. But nevertheless, it was still an incredible atmosphere. Uh, I set up across from Falcons Landing with a buddy, and we wanted to see the the parade come around the corner and then turn toward MBS for the final part of the parade. What we didn't realize was that security wasn't going to be able to hold the people back further up the road where the parade began. So what we didn't realize is that people had decided, you know what, screw it. We're joining the parade because this is our parade. This is, you know, this is much the, the, the supporters as it is the players championship. And I think that in soccer, people really believe that it's much more a feeling in soccer than it is in any other sport. So people are actually pouring into the streets during the parade as it's going on and, and joining the supporters section who are leading the march and surrounding the bus. And so it's taking a long time for this parade to make it to us. It took, it took almost an hour. So that's one thing we didn't realize. And so when it gets to us, there's already this massive group of people behind the bus that are doing chants and cheers. And that was so cool. And I think that a lot of people, you know, earlier on in the parade, you know, they saw the parade go by, they left. Uh, a lot of people still continued on with the parade because they were allowed to be a part of it. And then everybody poured down into the Home Depot backyard, which is the former Georgia Dome, uh, for the the post-parade pep rally where, you know, the players spoke, uh, Arthur Blank spoke, the mayor of Atlanta spoke, a lot of people spoke. There's something very symbolic about the fact that we were celebrating all this on the former plot of land that was the Georgia dome. And it's, it's just kind of a symbol symbolism that this is the future of Atlanta um, standing on the past. And, you know, if you believe that you have to stand on the shoulders of giants to achieve greatness, well, we stood on the shoulders of the Georgia dome. And I thought that was really cool. Now, one of the things that I think we should talk about, and it's been a hot button topic in the city of Atlanta and from the outside world uh, in the, in, in the wake of winning this championship because Atlantans for the most part, at least the Atlanta United fans instinctively, when they won this championship, they instinctively declared that the curse was over 23 years without a major pro sports championship in Atlanta is over. We have officially won a title that matters. That was the feeling inside the fan base, outside the fan base. The feeling was very different. The feeling was, this doesn't count. If if Atlanta, if the Falcons are playing in a Super Bowl again and they put that that graphic up on screen that says, here's how many pro sports championships Boston has, and here's how many pro sports championships Atlanta has. And Boston's got 632, or maybe 633 now that the Red Sox have won again, and Atlanta has one. If that were to happen again, would Atlanta have two, or would they still have one? Does this count as a major pro sports championship? To that I say, it is what you make it. And if you decide, if you decided to go down downtown on on uh, Monday Monday morning, and scream your heart out and stand on that, the side of the road in a rain snow mix and disgusting weather that was almost as bad as it was the night of the MLS Cup, if you did all of that and you were exuberant about everything that you saw on Monday on Monday morning. It counts. It absolutely counts. And I think it should count no matter what. Because you had 73,000 people in the house on Saturday night. You had 300,000 households watching it on TV around the city, which is the biggest audience for an MLS Cup in, what, two decades? 
So with all of that happening, you tell me, is this a major championship to the city of Atlanta? And what if Atlanta is the start of a new wave of franchises, of, of new MLS franchises that get incredible fan support and turn Major League Soccer into something even more popular than the NHL in the U.S.? Does it matter more then? Because Atlanta might have just started something in Major League Soccer that becomes the new wave. And they put it on their TIFO on Saturday night, MLS 3.0, which is basically declaring there's a new MLS that's about to begin. There's a new MLS in town, and we are the ones that are ushering it in. And we'll see how Miami and Cincinnati do as expansion clubs in the MLS. Cincinnati's going to sell out their stadium every single game. We've seen it in the past. FC Cincy has a huge following. Not quite Atlanta level, but for Cincinnati, they have a big following. That is going to be the most passionate fan base in Cincinnati in sports, period. And that's the kind of thing that you're seeing in Atlanta right now. Do you think if Cincinnati wins the MLS Cup next year, that they're just going to poo-poo and, and say, eh, it's not, it doesn't matter that much. You know, We'll have a parade, but whatever. No, they're not going to be like that. And so if, you, if this matters to you, and it matters to me, this matters to me. I was there on opening night at Bobby Dodd Stadium. I stood in front of the Red Bull supporters section and, and had 28 to 3 jokes lobbed at me one month to the day after Super Bowl 51. I was there. It matters to me. I care about this team. And I don't go to every game and I don't sit in the supporters section, but when I go, I'm all in. And I still watch the matches on TV. And it's something that I have adopted. In just two years, the only team I ever adopted faster was the Atlanta Falcons. And the reason why I adopted the Atlanta Falcons faster is because I didn't have a team. I was 10 years old in 1997, and about the second half of the season is when I started to really pick up on the Falcons. It wasn't 98. I was there in 97 for the second half as a 10-year-old. The reason why I started to like that team is because they were showing me something. They were showing me that for the first time in pretty much franchise history, uh, they cared, and they were going to be building something really special for 1998. So I started watching in 97. I got on board, and by 98, you know what happened. They went to the Super Bowl. So that was really cool. Another thing about this is, you know, if you don't know me intimately, uh, you probably don't know that I was not a fan of the Atlanta Braves in 1995. I was a fan of the Atlanta Braves in 1994, and I was a fan of the Atlanta Braves in 1996. Matter of fact, I was a fan of the Atlanta Braves in 1995, right up until the World Series. My family is from Cleveland. So I still very clearly remember watching Game 6 of the World Series uh, over at a friend's house. My family was there. His family was there. We were watching upstairs. The kids were watching upstairs. I was 8 years old. The parents were watching downstairs. Um, the other family was a, was a family of Braves fans. And we were rooting for the Indians. So in 1995, the bad guys won. So this was my first chance to really celebrate an Atlanta sports championship. And if you think I'm going to miss that, I'm not going to miss it. I'm just not. And so I was lucky enough to have the day off Monday where I could just go down, you know, not have to worry about skipping work or whatever. I wouldn't have skipped work. But still, I had the opportunity to go. And it was just really special. It just was. And I think that this is the this is the potential beginning of the MLS becoming a major, major pro sports uh, pro sports league in, in America. I think this is where it can begin, because not only is Atlanta stepping in as 
the big bad newcomer on the block. This is this is going to make other franchises step their game up because you know, I'm not going to get crazy with it and say that this is going to be turning into a a Juventus of the Italy, Italian league where, you know, there's one team that wins every single year and everybody else is fighting for second place. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen because it's still very, very difficult to win an MLS cup. And there's a lot of teams out there that are trying very, very hard. Do I think that Atlanta should be in the playoffs habitually? Yes, because this is a franchise that's going to spend a lot of money on this team. So, or this is an ownership group that's going to spend a lot of money on this team. So Yes, I do think Atlanta has the potential to become a powerhouse. I don't think they're going to win every single year. But what this is going to do is it's going to force other teams, especially those legacy teams where you know they have more MLS Cups, but they don't want to fall a step behind because their fan bases are not going to want that to happen. It's going to force them to elevate their game as well. They're going to have to bring in better players. They're going to have to bring in better managers. They're going to have to develop young talent better. Because what Atlanta's done at this point is they are they are not going for the aging superstar in Europe Europe and bringing him in. They are growing talent from the from the ground level up. They have a, a fantastic academy. They have the ability to reach into South America and pull out these 19, 20, 21 year old players that are superstars in the making. You know, they're not quite ready for Europe. You know, the Miguel Almarones. That's the kind of player that they are going to be pulling from. And when you got a 19-year-old that can run for days going up against a 37-year-old that the other team brought in from Europe because he's on the back end of his career and just trying to hold on to any glory he has left, who's going to win that race? The young player. So this is going to force the MLS franchises to really step it up. And I think that's a big thing. But most of all, when we talk about this whole debate about does this matter, is the curse dead, blah, 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 I'll tell you this. Atlanta treats the MLS like one of the big four pro sports. So it's really not our fault that the other cities don't. So if this championship matters to us, it just does. That's a fact. It doesn't matter if Fox doesn't put it on a graphic of major pro sports titles won. We have the trophy. We had the parade. Parades matter. This matters. And I'll say this as well. I hope this win by Atlanta United gives the other franchises in this city a hunger to give this city its next parade. But the fans have to show up. I mean, you see how much of a a big deal it is to have a rabid fan base at sporting events. I've gone to Fenway and I've said, this crowd has to be worth three or four wins a year at at minimum because they're always into it. It feels like a playoff atmosphere every single game at Fenway Park. I went to a game against the, they played the Indians over the weekend. It didn't even, like, it didn't matter. They were all in. They were acting like it was, I mean, they were acting in that game. The fans behaved in that game like the Atlanta fans behaved in their playoff games this year like the Braves fans behaved in October of this year. That's how they behaved for a June game against the Indians. That's what you have to do. The fans have to show up and care. The Falcons are are struggling to to get any energy inside MBS because there is no energy to, to have. The fans are not making any noise. I try to make noise in the upper deck. There are times where I just sit down and give up. I say, nobody else is making any noise in here. I'm not going to do it. So that's the one thing that I think the Atlanta sports teams that are not Atlanta United need to figure out. And I'm going to close with this and we'll move on to Georgia Tech. This is the last thing I want to say. One of the big things that people say about Atlanta United and why they have such a great fan base in the early going of this franchise is because nobody else has an MLS team from their from the town from where they came. Nobody nobody nobody's a Red Bulls fan in Atlanta. Nobody's a Sounders fan in Atlanta. 
everybody picked up this team because they didn't have an allegiance before this. And so they just became Atlanta fans because they're here. This is the first team in Atlanta that they've actually cheered for. Other than that, every other every other sport, they have their own team already. They're established, blah, blah, blah. Nothing is stopping you from becoming an Atlanta sports fan. And I'm talking specifically to the people that are my age. You're in your early 30s, your late 20s. Listen up. Just because your grandfather lived in Chicago and was a Bears fan 50 years ago doesn't mean you have to be a Bears fan. It just doesn't. My parents, like I said, are from Cleveland. My grandparents raised their kids in Cleveland. That doesn't mean I have to be an Indians fan or a Browns fan. As a matter of fact, if I had wisened up earlier, I would have been able to celebrate a major sports championship in Atlanta. Nobody is forcing you to become the same fan that your ancestors were. You can become an Atlanta sports fan. If you've lived here your entire life like I have, or even for the majority of your life, this is your city now. These are your teams. They need you. They need all of you. They need you to step up and become a fan of of the local teams. Look at what it did for Atlanta United. Just because you spent two years after college in Chicago working at your first job in some guy's business doesn't mean that you're a Cubs fan now. If you spent 28 or 30 years in Atlanta, you should be an Atlanta sports fan. So throw the Cubs hat away and become a fan of the home team. It'd be much appreciated. And it just makes more sense. Alrighty, that was my Atlanta United spiel. Now let's move on to Georgia Tech. And the big news of the week, Jeff Collins was announced as Georgia Tech's new head coach on Friday, last Friday. You know, I actually kind of like this guy. And I said before, while they were searching for their new head coach, and the rumors kept coming out that Ken Wisenhunt was going to be the guy, I kept saying to myself, why? Why does Ken Wisenhunt need to be the guy? That's not the kind of guy that Georgia Tech needs. What they need is somebody who's energetic, maybe somebody who can change it up you know, offensively, maybe don't run the triple option anymore. I, I wasn't necessarily thinking that that was such a, a terrible thing. I thought you know, Georgia Tech's probably going to be about the same team whether they run a triple option or a pro style. I would, I would have more fun watching them run a pro style, but I also wasn't opposed to them running the triple option. Frankly, I don't know if I said this on a past podcast. I might have, uh, but I did say this you know, in casual conversation with friends when we talked about this job opening, I would have had no issue with them trying to throw, you know, everything they had at Brian Bohannon, the head coach at Kennesaw State. Now they run the triple option, but Bohannon's a former Georgia Tech uh, coach. He's an, he was an assistant under Paul Johnson. You see what he's doing at Kennesaw State. I mean, he's built that team into a national powerhouse in FCS, but still they were, they were nobody like three years ago. And now they're like the two seed in the FCS playoffs. So I hadn't I would have had no issue with them trying to get him back uh, as as the head coach but you know I like Jeff Collins a lot uh, and I don't I don't know much about him he came from Temple I know that um, but I just know that in that first press conference I was pretty impressed I like his energy and you know I actually like the fact that he's going to I kind of like the fact that he's going to try to run a different offense than Paul Johnson and he's not going to try he's going to I mean they're not going to run the triple option so it's going to take him a couple of years to get his players in here and get more of a pro style offense going basically he's the he's the exact opposite of their last head coach and i think most georgia tech fans are going to like him too especially after what he said in his introductory press conference 
One of the things he said was, quote, Georgia Tech players will have a chance to get a meaningful degree, unquote. Now, that sounds like something that uh, was a direct shot at Georgia, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a direct shot at Florida State or Clemson or anybody else. I don't know. But he was playing to his base. And it's also one of the biggest selling points to get high school football players to commit to Tech. So whether you think it was salty, unnecessary, hilarious, true, regardless of what you thought it was, he's trying to get players to commit to Georgia Tech. He has begun to recruit. You start recruiting the second you start your introductory press conference, and that's what he was doing. He was recruiting. And it's it's not necessarily the word choice I would have chosen, um, but it's 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 kind of true. I mean, there you can obviously get a meaningful degree at Georgia or Florida State. Hell, I did it. Uh, or anywhere else. You can do that. But Georgia Tech is Georgia Tech. I mean, the average Tech graduate is a millionaire. That's not hyperbole. That is a statistic they trot out there. The average Tech graduate is a millionaire. And if you want to go, or if you went to any other school in Georgia, your boss is probably a Tech grad. You know, there's probably a few of you that are silently nodding right now saying, yeah, my boss is a Tech grad. And there's a reason why a lot of bosses out there in the Atlanta area are Tech grads. Because Tech is... A, a very, very good institution. And again, I'm not saying that your alma mater is not. But tech is really good. So, you know, it's he's right that tech is top-notch academically and that it can, I mean, that can be a draw for some players. It really can be. So I think that what he did was, you know, he's just trying to get out there. He's trying to recruit. He's trying to tell his, his future players that this is another reason why you should come here. And the truth of the truth of the matter is, I think that Jeff Collins is going to improve Georgia Tech football. I really do. I think that he's going to turn this program into the right direction. I think that they will be competing for coastal championships at least every couple of years. They're going to, you know, they're going to have really good seasons. They'll probably have some seasons that aren't as good under his watch, but I think he's going to improve this program. And that's all fine and well, but again, I don't think he's going to turn Georgia Tech into Clemson. And I don't think Georgia Tech fans expect that. I don't think they expect to be competing for national championships every year. I think they understand where they are in the pecking order of college football. But if you can't always get nothing but five stars, as Dabo Swinney does in Clemson, you're going to need to get some two and three stars that are really hard workers and have have aspirations to things other than the NFL. And if you can get those guys in there by recruiting the way that Jeff Collins has started to recruit, you can have something really, really good on the flats. All right, that was the Breslanta Report. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Again, as I mentioned already, if you haven't yet subscribed on iTunes or SoundCloud, please do so now. Five-star rating will be much appreciated. And please leave me a review now that you've listened to the podcast. Let me know what you think. Let me know where I can improve. As I mentioned, my email address is breslanta at gmail.com. And please visit breslanta.com for the latest Atlanta news. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you have a great week.